the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Life in Colorado. Hello and welcome. My name is Maria Oliver, housed in an early 19th century building in the Black Hawk Historic District is the Central City Opera. Founded back in 1932, it was the home for music and entertainment for a hardworking, financially diverse community. And it still is. This week, we're joined by Emily Murdoch. She's with the Central City Opera. Thank you for joining us, Emily. Oh, thank you. How are you affiliated with the Central City Opera? I'm the Associate Director of Education, and I've been there for about seven and a half years. Who came up with the idea to bring opera to the wild, wild west? Yeah, well, the Opera House itself is 140 years old. It was built in 1878. Touring productions would come through all the time. They had a little theater there called the Belvedere Theater. It's still there. The City of Central is um, uh, renovating it as we speak. And... um, they decided that they needed an opera house to really put on these productions. Because think of it, I mean, back then we didn't have TV, we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have the kind of entertainment they had was live performance. So they loved it. You know, they'd be in the mines all day, and then they wanted entertainment at night. At one point, I think there were 150 opera houses in well, the territory of Colorado. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we're talking op, op quote unquote opera well, houses. Oh, well, no, yeah. Um, like above a saloon. Performing was very popular, and Central City had money because of the gold. So there were merchants and, you know, people who weren't miners. And so it was a real, it was almost the capital of Colorado. Yeah. Thank goodness it was. And that, that kind of brings up something when you're talking about the opera house above the saloon. How did that come about? How did that work? I mean, we're not talking high grand. Not Madame Butterfly. No, okay. n- no, it wasn't even written by then. But we're, I mean, we're talking operetta and plays and vaudeville and, I mean, there was at one point in the in the opera house there were boxing matches. I mean, it was everything under the sun, and so. But in terms of Central City Opera, the actual opera company, it was not founded until 1932. It was founded by two women. So we're talking the, the beginning of the Great Depression. And the two women, Ann Evans and Ida Cruz McFarland. So Ida Cruz McFarland, she was the daughter of the man who sort of managed the opera house and owned it at that point. But it had fallen into disrepair. It was very expensive to keep up. So, But she had grown up in Central City. and She loved, she remembered back when, you know, when she was a kid. She remembered the heyday of the of seeing productions there and it is a beautiful building and evans was really a cultural icon in denver she start she also was instrumental in starting the denver library and the denver art museum her 
I want to say uncle was the governor of was John Evans, so the governor of mm-hmm. Illinois. So we're like uh, Evanston in Illinois. She was very persuasive. She uh, the story goes that Ida and Anne would just walk up to wealthy people on the street and be like, "All right, you're donating to the opera house." They sold seats so you could put your name on a, the back of a seat in the opera house for a hundred dollars in the Great Depression, and it worked. So they raised enough money to reopen the opera house. They went to New York City. They they found a very famous Broadway director, Robert Edmund Jones. They brought him out to Central City. They showed him the theater, which at that point was still under, I mean, like rats were living in it, and it was total disrepair. And he looks at it and goes, this is the theater of dreams. <laughs> he loved it. Yeah. And so they brought for the first production in... 1932. It was actually a play, Camille, okay. um, which La Traviata is based on. Okay. They brought Lillian Gish, the great yeah. Lillian Gish. She opened. There was a train that came up um, to Black Hawk, okay. I think, at that point. And then wagons would bring them up to the top. But it was the streets were packed. People were just craving it. Is the people who still had money. If you've ever been to Central City, which I hope you go sometime. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, it's it's a gorgeous building. It's a, it's called a jewel box theater. It's only seats 550 people. At that at the time it was built, it was 750 because the chairs were smaller. We replaced them in 2000. So most opera houses or theaters in the West were built by one wealthy person, so like a silver baron. But in Central City, it wasn't just one person who wanted a place for entertainment. It was the entire town. And so the Welsh and Cornish miners, who had a great singing tradition that they brought over from the UK, they they were deep rock miners. So after they were done in the mines, they would come and work on the opera house Mm -hmm. and erect it. Yeah. So it, it was a real community effort. I think that that's the reason why it really has lasted so long because Mm -hmm. it was well loved by many many people many people wanted it there not just one one rich guy in your tenure you said seven years Mm -hmm. what's the the performance or or the event that you've personally just kind of rocked the cradle with and just felt extremely passionate about well yeah when you when you post this question to me i actually thought of two one, I would say, um, so I would say The Ballad of Baby Doe. That was an opera that Central City Opera commissioned and premiered in 1956. And Baby Doe Tabor, they were more famous and richer than you can even imagine, Baby Doe and her husband Horace. But there was a huge scandal attached to them. She, Baby Doe, um, kind of broke up his marriage to Augusta. And so, the, I mean, the story is very operatic. And the music is by Douglas Moore, libretto by John Latouche. And Central City, um, so we commissioned it back in 1956. We as a company perform it every 10 years. So the last time we performed it was 2016. And it's also, but it's not just our show that, you know, we do every 10 years. It's gone around the world. It's produced a lot, which is really neat. So it's this Colorado story being told all over the world. The music is gorgeous. And in 2016, the director, Ken Kazan, had a really cool concept. He he incorporated actual historic photos of the real people that were part of the scenery. 
so projections. Um, he had the he and the scenic designer had these like really oversized broken picture frames that um, were sort of tattered at the bottom, and then the the projection of Baby Doe's face was projected on there. And it was neat because while you're seeing this story being played out by by actor singers on stage, you're also seeing these real photos so it connects the story in reality and I thought it was beautiful. The other opera that really fired everybody up in 2000 called Dead Man Walking. There, it's ba- the, Both the movie and the opera are based on a book by um, Sister Helen Prejean. But what makes it so different from, from a movie or reading a book is that a movie or a book has a wall between you and the, and the content, right? When you see something on stage, it makes it that much more real and shocking and whoa. It doesn't make you argue the legitimacy of the of if that guy, if the criminal deserves to be punished or not. At the very beginning of the opera, you actually see the crime take place on stage and it's written into the score. It's very it's shocking it's supposed to be. So you do not question that that man did something horrible but throughout the whole story you start realizing that that person's also a human and Mm -hmm. that was that's um, sister helen's whole message we are speaking with emily murdoch she is with central city opera we're going to take a little bit of a break and then we'll be right back We are speaking with Miss Emily Murdoch. I, I have never seen an opera in English before. Oh, it's great. Yeah? It's really cool. It, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, opera is this European tradition, right? It was born in Italy way back in 1600. You know, it's not American. Mm-hmm. Like um, like musicals, like Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals yeah. are totally American. So when you when Americans get to see an opera written by another American and it had, you know, Jake Heggie incorporated New Orleans kind of style music and bayou kind of stuff and like really stuff that jazz and there's a there's a nod to Elvis Presley in it so it's it's quoting American musical language you have such a uh, more primal connection to Mm -hmm. it don't get me wrong I love Italian opera yeah yeah yeah. it's it's just a different thing it's it's I I don't technically understand the words but I can feel Mm-hmm. The words and, and, and through the the sights and the sounds and, and I just I don't know how to explain that but you just kind of close your eyes for a tenth of a second and the language doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, 
opera houses nowadays have super titles. So you were able to kind of check in and be like, oh, oh, that, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. I know exactly what they said. But that's the magic of opera is that the music informs the drama. The words do too, but it all goes together. So you can tell when something sounds sad or something sounds happy and yeah. All righty. Now, on the flip side. Yeah. And, and I know fundraising is, is probably a challenge, so we'll just get that one out of the way. What are some of the challenges as far as now uh, when we have, like you said, Netflix and the Hulu and the 587 million channels of people to sit and marinate in their caves Oh, and I do, computers? too. I do, too. Yeah. So, I mean, what are some of the, the challenges generationally, just just keeping things relevant, keeping them fresh, and, and making sure that your audience, you still have your core, but you're adding more? What are, what are some of the challenges that come with that? That is the thing, that, that um, to convince people, to show them that their entertainment dollar, that it's worth spending their in- entertainment dollar on not just being entertained, but having the experience. So that's what we're all about at Central City is the experience. So you you get to Central City and you you feel like you've walked back in time, that you're on this Wild West movie set. And our opera house is is tiny, really, compared to the great opera houses of the world. It's only 550 seats. There's not a bad seat in the house. Live performance is different than seeing it on screen, like I talked about before. It's just different because you can actually feel the sound waves hitting your body it's a visceral experience and in our opera house it's even more so you can even see them sweating on stage it's amazing you can do backstage tours in the summer plug 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 (laughs) um you can see them doing that the costumes are meticulously crafted down to like the shoes that they're wearing everything is is there's so much detail because we're the audience is so close Mm -hmm. Which also creates an, an amazing experience for the people on stage, that energy they feel from the audience. So, yeah, the challenge is, is just getting people to leave the house and come and have an evening out or a matinee. And, and know that, that they're, they're part of something that has been around for decades. Um, at least our company. Opera's been around for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. I'm playing the long game. Okay. We just finished... Um, our first family series performances mm-hmm. of Mozart and Company, which is a little show uh, featuring scenes from different operas, mostly by Mozart. And it's a, one of our shows we take into elementary schools, but I modified it for little kids. They love it. We make it, it's, we're not on a stage, we're on the same level that they're sitting on. They're right in front of us. It's three singers and a pianist. It's not like this. Um, overwhelming experience and we ask the kids to come up on stage with us in certain scenes you know parents are like what my kid likes opera I'm like we're singing we're being goofy they love it so my long game is I'm I want to get opera I want opera to be just one of the many ways you can be entertained that it's a perfectly legitimate art form it takes all the art forms puts them all together and it's fun And so if I can get kids interested and, you know, parents see their kids loving it and they go, oh, that's maybe I'd like it, too. That's my long game. So I'm talking generations trying to change them at the at the the earliest memories. Um, 
And so that that's really fun. And we, you know, because we've been around for so many years, we see those kids who first maybe went to our family matinee during the summer. And we see them, and now they're bringing their kids. Or, you know, a grandparent will be, yeah. So it's really pretty cool. And um, that that's one of my favorite parts of the job is, is seeing – Someone who's never heard opera before and go, wait, I, that's really cool. I want to see more of it. Is the, the summer festival in, in line with that, or is that a total separate element from, from drawing in the kids? Well, it's, it's separate only in the time of year. The goal is to expand the season a little mm-hmm. and hopefully get into maybe start and end of school. Okay. And we do have a family matinee, but it's not like I can't call up a school and be like, bust all your kids up here, you know? The overall goal is to get people to come to it. Mm-hmm. So while I'm out during during the school year, um, going into schools, doing assembly performances, master classes, things like that, we're also saying, hey, and in the summer, you can come to this. And so, and also the family series uh, that we started this year um, is playing on that. Okay. My first recording session for an opera group, these ladies came in. I swear to you, they couldn't have been more than 5'2 and 110 pounds. I kid you not. I don't know what she was singing, but I remember she made me cry. Yeah, well, you, you, you hit upon something that um, we all have a voice. Like every human being, whether, you know, the choir teacher from back then said, oh, you can't sing, which is terrible. They should never say that. Everybody actually can sing. So we all have this connection to all kinds of singing, right? And opera singing is just on like that super professional athlete level. You know, it takes a ton of practice, a ton of training. You're never done learning because you're while your body is always maturing, mm-hmm. that means your voice is always changing too. In some maybe some very small way, but it's you're always navigating something new. And so when you hear an opera singer, on some level you're going, "Oh my gosh, I there, there's the potential for that in me as well. And I think that's one of the reasons why people have such a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, this is kind of a, a rando question. Sure. Is Denver still an opera kind of town? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's becoming more so every year. Mm-hmm. More and more people are moving here from more urban places, which, you know, have really big, well-established opera companies, museums, everything. We have all of that here in Denver. We've got two major opera companies, actually. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you get hooked on opera, who gets it, you to the table. We just want you hooked on it. So, yeah, absolutely. De- Denver's still an opera town. That being said, it's important that arts companies, opera companies, produce work that is relevant to the, to the issues that people are dealing with. Even if that means just taking an, an old piece and reimagining just its setting, for example, or taking a look at most operas have some underlying social issue in them. For example, let's see. Let's see. Um, one that we did uh, two years ago, Carmen. Okay. Carmen's super famous, right? Yeah. And, I mean, everybody's heard the tunes from Carmen. And so it's on, on its face. You'd be like, oh, that old war horse. <laughs> the director chose to highlight things like um, violence against women. And, you know, just kind of putting these, putting a, without changing any words mm-hmm. or anything like that, but just 
the way the blocking happened. Or some, so, so sort of you, you kind of get a subliminal message there as an audience member, but it's there. And so making sure that you're always reexamining what you're producing and saying, is this still relevant? That's mm. really important. And then producing new works, too. Wow, Emily, it sounds like you guys have a lot going on this summer. Um, Hang on to that thought one moment, and we'll give you more time to break it down for the listeners. We'll be right back with Miss Emily Murdoch from Central City Opera. We're from Central City Opera, and today we're going to take you back to a time more than 150 years ago, when if you'd picked up a newspaper, the headlines would have screamed... Emily, tell me about what you got going on this summer. Sure, yeah. So right now we're still in preseason mode. Tickets are on sale for our summer festival, but me personally, because I get to, you know, in the fun world of education, I'm still working in schools and doing public performances of of other stuff. How the West was sung, mm-hmm. which is a one of our school shows, but it works really well for families. We are partnering with the Denver Botanic Gardens down at Chatfield Farms. Oh. It's down down in Littleton. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the the show, it's about an hour, and it, it takes all that history that we were talking about earlier and puts it into an opera. So the, the arranger and composer, there's some original music to it, but then they also took stuff from The Ballad of Baby Doe okay. and The Unsinkable Molly Brown and... Um, Gabriel's Daughter, which is about Clara Brown, who was the first African-American woman to come to Colorado. She actually came Mm. to Central City. And, yeah, it's really, really neat stuff. And it's all put into this fun medley with fun and goofiness and anachronism to make people go, wait a second, did they just say McDonald's? I thought this was set in the 1850s. (laughs) Yeah. The Denver Botanic Gardens at Chatfield. And after the performance, you can go tour the ranch that's down there that was built in the same time period that the show is talking about. So it'll be a really very um, holistic experience. So that's one that we're doing a few... Preview performances. All of this can be found on our website, centralcityopera.org. Oh, one more time. Centralcityopera.org. Our summer festival, which... Is the you know the jewel of our of our year? We're doing uh, Madama Butterfly by Puccini. That opens the season. I think we do thirteen performances of that. So we're in repertory. So that means we we perform like a Tuesday through Sunday, and every show is like they alternate. Yeah, the other show in the Opera House is Billy Budd, and it's based on the Herman Melville novel. So Herman Melville also wrote Moby Dick, yeah. yeah. But he had this much shorter novel also on a naval ship. 
mm-hmm. or a ship, mm-hmm. called Billy Budd. There's nine performances of that. And then because Billy Budd's all guys, the women of the of our Young Artist program, oh gosh, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> okay. So the women of our Young Artist program uh, will be performing two sacred works, um, two French cantatas, which a cantata is essentially just a choral work with okay. accompaniment. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. was on again. Over a hundred thousand people hit the trails to strike it rich in the new gold fields of Colorado. Half of them turned back, but still, think of it, 20,000 covered wagons on I-25 in rush hour. Men, women, kids, dogs, and cats all piled into wagons and started on the 700-mile trek to Colorado. does it for our show this week. Be sure to check out all the summer activities with the Central City Opera at centralcityopera.org. That's centralcityopera.org. I'm Maria Oliver, and this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.